and welcome to Season 3, Episode 4 of Voices, the podcast. I'm your host, Brian, and today I thought it would be beneficial to talk about uh, some things that I've learned uh, a little bit more recently and just kind of update on what the recovery community is kind of up to. So we're going into conference season. There are many conferences that happen throughout the year. The National Council on Problem Gambling National Conference uh, in late April. There was the uh, Evergreen Council on Problem Gambling Conference uh, called Focus on the Future. And one of the things that I love about this time of year is it really is the recovery community banding together in therapeutic models with people in recovery, with advocates, all of these people coming together to think about what the recovery journey could look like, what we could do to help improve it, what things are working really well. And all of those things work together uh, to create these beautiful conferences that, that end up feeling very successful when you're done with them. At the Evergreen Council on Problem Gambling, I was able to take, I mean, pages of notes over the course of the three days that I was there and really start to think about how to best utilize these in my work, in uh, this podcast. But I have to say, one of the most informative bits that I went to uh, was the final presentation by Dr. Carlo de Clement, who discussed the trans-theoretical model. Now, if you're not familiar with that, some people might recognize it as the stages of change, the phases of change. Um, but the trans-theoretical model was basically developed by Dr. de Clement, among other people, as a identifier of where somebody is in changing a behavior. And one of the things that he talked about was that identifying what step somebody was or is in is only part of the story and that there's actually a more important piece that needs to go into place. And, and so I'll get into that a little bit, but I, I thought that talking about the stages of change, the trans-theoretical model, would be a good idea because you listening might be able to identify with this, whether you're somebody who's just interested in the recovery journey, uh, whether you're pursuing recovery for yourself, whether you have a loved one, or maybe you're a clinician who who's listening and, and uh, this might be kind of a helpful reminder, I suppose. Uh, I in no way claim to be an expert in this or any other uh, tool that I've been able to utilize in my own recovery or in my work with other people, but rather something that was introduced to me that worked really well. And so I do love sharing what I know about it and my perspective on it. So if we start at the beginning, the trans-theoretical model works in six different stages. And the first stage is pre-contemplation. 
And what I'm going to do is I'm going to break this down into a non-recovery based example, right? So most of us going through life have learned how to ride a bike. And that is a change that we've had to introduce into our lives. One of the things about the trans theoretical model is that this isn't a model that was developed as much as it was discovered. So what I mean by that is that what they noticed is that people who introduce changes in their life go through these stages pretty much across the board. The timeframes may be a little different or unique, but all six of these processes uh, happen. So pre-contemplation, when we're thinking about bike riding and learning to ride a bike, there was a time in our life where we didn't even consider bike riding to be an option or something worth pursuing or something that we even considered to be something that we would eventually learn to do. So pre-contemplation simply means that you aren't aware of a change needing to be implemented. And as Dr. DeClement said, that there's a task associated with that. And the task around that is to raise awareness around interest or concern of changing the behavior. So in riding a bike, right, that could be that our friends get bikes or we get a bike for a present, a gift from somebody. And now we have raised awareness around interest in learning to ride this bike. Once you've been able to be aware of an interest or concern, the next phase is to consider it, to contemplate it. So this is the contemplation phase. And this is where you take a look at that interest or that concern and you think, is it worth implementing a changed behavior? Now, this is where some people can start to talk about and use words like denial, ambivalence, and I think ambivalence is probably more appropriate of a word. Denial tends to be pretty stigmatic because they may not be denying the concern or the interest. They may just not feel that it's yet worth pursuing a change. So um, I think ambivalent is a better word for it. So the task in that contemplation is to basically decide that a change needs to be implemented or would be more beneficial than the current path that you're pursuing. So with a bike, it's this part happens really quickly. You get a bike or you see a bike and you're like, I want to learn to ride a bike. And there's a lot of excitement around that. So once you have decided that that change is going to be beneficial, we move into the planning or the preparation stage of the trans theoretical model. This one's pretty self-explanatory. This is where we start collecting data. This is where we start uh, in recovery. We might be looking at um, meeting lists. We might be calling hotlines. But with riding a bike, we are trying to figure out how to best ride a bike. So the task at hand here is to think about what could work. No guarantees, no demands on it working, but is there is there an interest and motivation to try it because it could work? 
So once you've thought about what could work, you've called the hotline, you've figured out that uh, training wheels or having a parent behind you to kind of push the bike would be helpful, we go into action phase. And this action phase tends to be, um, in my experience, kind of a make or break moment. And I don't mean that in that it's inherent that it needs to be, but a lot of times it's perceived as that where you have decided to implement these actions towards change. And there's a lot of excitement around it. This tends to be a really hopeful place because I've, I've done so much research. I've made such, um, such commitment to this that it, we start to feel like it has to work. Otherwise, there's no hope. And that's where the make or break mentality starts to come in. And we'll talk a little bit more about why that might not be the most helpful um, thought process and what can be done about that. But once you've implemented that action mode, the task at hand is to figure out what is working, what is valuable. And once you've figured that out, so you might be doing, you might be riding your bike with the training wheels. You might also have a parent behind you pushing. Right? Are both of those things helpful and valuable? And are you continuing to see the benefit of them? Or is there a change needed to continue the progress while still holding on to the benefits that you're, that you're reaping from your current action? So maybe that's taking the training wheels away or taking, taking the, the guided assistance out of the way and once you've been able to figure out how to preserve the changed behavior amongst these other changes, we've moved into what's called maintenance mode or stage. And the maintenance stage really is about creating a sense of balance with this change and integrating it back into our everyday life. So in recovery, um, that could look like maybe going to less meetings, maybe cutting back on a few of the programs that you were a part of, whether it's because you graduated from those programs or they're not as beneficial as they once were, or you took from them what you needed from them, and you're good with that now. And so now you are in this kind of maintenance phase where you're able to simply start habitualizing the change without the need of new supports, things like that. Um, so in the bike riding example, the maintenance phase is that you have pulled away the guided assistance. You've pulled away the training wheels. You're now riding a bicycle unattended, unassisted. You are now maintaining the ability to ride that bike. That sounds like that's where that would end, right? You, you, you've maintained it. There's this push to, to keep maintaining it. And that's true that there is something around continuing this behavior, but the trans-theoretical model takes one more step, and that's exit. So once you've been able to habitualize the changed behavior, according to the trans-theoretical model, it's no longer a changed behavior. It's a baseline behavior. So when we look at it through the lens of recovery, 
that doesn't mean that you're cured and that you can now go about your compulsive behavior uh, knowing that you're cured of this ailment. More, what it means is that you have the skills, the tools, the coping mechanisms in place that other supports are no longer needed. It's become so habitualized. So in my case, when I get to the point where gambling is no longer part of my baseline behavior, and in fact, being not gambling has become habitualized, we've considered that an exit from changing that behavior. Once you've habitualized riding a bike, we know the saying, it's as easy as riding a bike. It's just like riding a bike. Once you've done it, you never really forget how to do it. It's because we've habitualized it enough that we no longer need to really think about it in the mindset of learning to ride a bike. It's rather re-engaging riding the bike. We know how to do it, and we don't really need much adjustment to continue that trend, regardless of if you're even like moving to a new kind of bike, right? You have adaptive skills around that. When we're looking at the trans-theoretical model, we do recognize that there is a risk that one of these phases may have more speed bumps or more, uh, more tests that we weren't prepared for than we'd be comfortable with. And those are typically viewed as like lapses or relapses or reoccurrences of a compulsive behavior or, a, um, or of an addictive behavior. But the same can be said about riding a bike. If you're in action mode where you're learning to ride that bike and you've got the training wheels and then you go to take the training wheels off, you may not have been prepared for that. And therefore, you may fall off your bike. Now, as parents of children who are learning to ride bikes, we know that that can be um, a part of it, right? That, that, yep, falling down on a bicycle when you're learning these new techniques and this new skill, pretty much everybody does it. And what do we do? We encourage them to pick themselves up, to reevaluate if they're ready for those training wheels to be taken off. And then we try it again. So we back up into that action mode and then push through again. And this is where that idea of all or nothing, nothing pass or fail, um, make or break deal, that, that's where we, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves because if a child falls off a bike after trying a technique or a new support, we wouldn't tell them that they failed at riding a bike. We would simply reevaluate what's happening around that. Do they have the right supports in place to be successful doing this? I was recently on a podcast where I was um, discussing the idea of programs that work. And this is another thing that Dr. DeClement talked about was that he doesn't believe that there's such thing as a bad program of recovery, nor does he believe that there's a person doomed to not recover. That it's about finding the right fit, the right combination of opportunities. Because just like riding a bike, 
different supports are going to be more valuable to different people. And one of the points of this podcast is to try to introduce people to those different supports. This is meant to really just be a jumping off point, uh, kind of thinking about the planning and preparation phase. But when, when we're in action or we're in maintenance and all of a sudden we find ourselves um, falling off the bike, the decision to be made is that we can either completely abandon this and we can say, this wasn't for me. I, uh, I knew that this wasn't going to work for me. Or we can back up. We can go back into planning and preparation and we can say, I thought that that would work. It didn't seem to. What else do I think could work? And then we push through again. And whereas when you're looking at it through an addiction and recovery lens, we would view that as a lapse or a relapse and, and stepping back. I think that in any other lens, we, we wouldn't use that terminology. We wouldn't say that you relapsed on not riding a bike. We would simply say, hey, maybe we're not ready for that part yet. Maybe there's something here that isn't working. Let's back up. Let's try it again. We would call it a reevaluation. The trans-theoretical model has a term within it called recycling. Right? So if this is a cycle of changed behaviors, you're cycling back to the planning and preparation mode to push through the action and maintenance modes again. I can honestly say that one of the, one of the things that I, in my job, look at as kind of an indicator of, of recovery and how well it's going has nothing to do with abstinence. It has nothing to do with how long somebody's been able to go without gambling, without uh, engaging in, in a compulsive behavior. That's actually a very small part of my job. What I look for when I am gauging how somebody's recovery is going is how engaged they are in their recovery. So there might be somebody who is continuing to gamble for a year into their recovery but they keep engaging and they keep reassessing to try to find things that might work for them and they keep pushing through that perseverance is staggering to me for somebody who can feel that stigma around continuing to engage and yet still decide that it would be more beneficial to continue to pursue recovery, to continue to engage in services, even if they don't feel like they're getting the, the main goal benefit, they're seeing enough value in it to continue going. I tip my hat to anybody who's experienced that because that level of perseverance, that level of being able to say, I'm not going to give up on this. I'm going to keep exploring it until I find my winning combination is staggering to me. And that's where that's where we come up with ideas about being warriors in this journey. Right? We don't stop
fighting. No matter how many times we get knocked down, we keep getting back up and we keep saying, well, the technique could probably be looked at. Let's see what else is available. Let's see how I can improve upon what's already working. And remembering the parts that are working, I think is a really vital part because we don't have to go back to the drawing board. If somebody was able to abstain from gambling for six months and then there was a reoccurrence, that doesn't mean we're going back to square one. That means that you were able to figure out how to achieve six months of abstaining. And if that was your goal, you figured out how to do that for six months. And because of a kind of one-time thing, a short-term reoccurrence of, say, gambling, you're, you're considering that to be a failure. And that, that, to me, sounds like six months of success. So let's think about what happened during that six months that was really successful. And then we can figure out what happened in this, in this brief moment of time, what test it was that maybe there wasn't a tool developed for, and simply work on that tool so that the next time that test comes up, we can be better prepared for it. The trans-theoretical model can be applied to any change that we've ever encountered, including developing our addiction. So I'll speak from my personal experience. There was a time that I didn't even know what gambling was. I, I didn't know that it was something that people did. I didn't know that it was an option available to myself. I was pre-contemplative. At some point, it was introduced to me, whether it was receiving a uh, Christmas card with scratch it tickets in it as a child. By the way, please don't do that. I, I hope that goes without saying, but that can be very disruptive to uh, somebody's healthy approach to gambling. So whatever the reason, somebody, myself included, was able to raise awareness around interest in gambling. So I started planning, how would this work for me? Who could I go with? What, uh, what opportunities are there for me to be able to try this gambling? When I figured out what could work, I started gambling. And the dopamine that I got from it and the sense of escape and the sense that I, that I could find a little bit of peace for a little while really worked for me. I was able to identify that that worked really well for me. So I started maintaining it. I started protecting it. I started habitualizing it. And eventually we got to the point where I was no longer pursuing gambling as a changed behavior. It was now a baseline behavior. It was a compulsion on my part. Whether it's a compulsory disorder or not, I will let greater minds than mine figure out. But there was a point that it became so habitualized that it became a baseline behavior for me. 
So any change that we decide to introduce into our lives is going to follow this trans-theoretical model and may also have starts and stops. You might fall off a bike. The question becomes, is this changed behavior working towards a greater good? Is it working towards our values? Is it working towards our goals in life? Or is it pulling away from them? And at some point, we may talk a little bit about acceptance and commitment therapy, um, because I do believe that that, uh, that ideology of towards moves, working towards goals and away from them, and then moves that pull away from our goals and values um, is helpful to talk about. My hope is that I can get somebody on to talk about this a little bit more. But this episode, I really wanted to share with you my thoughts that um, that I was able to develop after hearing this speaker talk and share with you some of the perspectives that I had around that in the hopes that it would be helpful for people out there who may be considering introducing a change in their own life or may be helpful in people who are concerned about someone else who... Mm, a change might be beneficial for them. One thing that I will say is that raising awareness around interest or concern, I am not advocating for interventions because the awareness around interest or concern does need to be internal. So making people aware of the consequences of their actions is a lot different than trying to convince them of concerns that other people have as legitimate. I hope that makes sense. As we contemplate how to help people make changes for themselves that we would find beneficial. The first step there is to have them become aware of their own interest or concern towards changed behaviors. Setting boundaries is a good way to do that. Self-preservation for you if you're a concerned other what I mean by that is not bailing somebody else out of the problems that they're dealing with and instead letting them safely fall off the bike. Let them be aware of concerning behaviors to raise interest in changing it. I didn't think that I would be able to talk about the trans theoretical model for almost half an hour. Um... As you could probably tell, I'm really excited about it. I really like the idea. Um, I've been able to utilize this for pretty much the entirety of my recovery journey. And so being able to hear the person who helped discover this process and really put it into writing and, and help us identify what that looks like was invigorating for me. It, it really did give me a fresh perspective. It gave me a chance to rediscover it and recognize that this isn't just 
a natural identifier, but that there are actually things that we can do to help propel us into that next phase. I know that typically speaking, I have guests on this podcast. They've only done a couple that was just me. As it turns out, the next episode, which is going to be the season finale, um, I know that there are only five episodes this season, um, but there's retooling happening um, to be able to improve the quality and availability of this podcast. So bear with us on this slightly shorter season and just know that there are things happening around that. But typically I have a guest on to talk about this kind of stuff. My ambition with this episode was to show that I'm still learning, that even almost five years into my own journey in recovery, I am still discovering elements that seemed pretty well understood. Because this is part of my journey, and the other part of it is trying to share it. So today um, was absolutely about me wanting to share how my journey's going, and I do believe that there will be a part two that gets a little bit more personal into my, uh, my journey so far. So thanks for listening, and I hope you'll tune in next time for Voices, the podcast. <laughs>